Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone to the Fanalytics podcast. This is Mike Lewis and Doug Battle. How are you today, Doug? I'm doing great. Um, we had our weekly sporting event last night, which was <laughs> The Last Dance, episodes three and four. And now it's just a long wait for episodes five and six, but uh, I enjoyed it and excited to talk about it. Well, this is uh, this is an interesting time for sports, and, and in some ways, I think this is actually a this is perfect in a way. Uh, the 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 light that has shined on the world of sports, perfect. This kind of little interlude in real sports because it it kind of clarifies some of the some of the issues that are like behind the scenes. Um, if you want to take this deeper dive and think more fundamentally about how sports works and why we care about it. I mean, this last weekend, I almost put sort of the two events, the two main events. And, you know, I've been watching ESPN all morning. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're we're taping this on uh, 427 and they're, they're covering two stories, right? They're covering the uh, NFL draft and they're covering the, the last dance documentary. Yeah. The draft to me is all about kind of this notion of hope. Right. Right. This idea of this idea of reloading to bring in new talent to create the future stories or the content that the fans are going to love. And on the other side of it, you've got the last dance, which is the ultimate effort to turn a sports star and a series of sporting events into a legend, into uh, you know, truly almost mythological figures in terms of it. And, and I think we're, we're coming at this from different directions, Doug. So I'm kind of interested to hear your take on it because I really did live. I, I lived in the Chicago at that time. One of my friends from high school worked for the Bulls. You know, we were at the, the sports bars to watch every game of every finals. You know, it, it was sort of part of the uh, it was part of the local culture. Um, so it was something I saw firsthand. And it's something that I think you've only you've only like heard about, right? I mean, you know, beyond the highlights, right? So yeah, the point we're at in the documentary, I have yet to be conceived um, in, in my <laughs> personal story. So it's all been legend to me, and it's very it's exciting to watch, and especially with no sports going on, it's exciting to watch as if it's something that's happening now because ESPN's really marketing it like an event. 
uh, like a worldwide event and it's being followed that way and being covered that way by the media. Well, and I, and I can say this, I, I think there's a marketing story in all this, right? And they're like these two constructs, these two ideas of hope and let's say, let's call it legacy. I mean, you know, that mm-hmm. is stuff that transcends sports, right? I mean, that's stuff that's relevant to anything where fandom is relevant to the world of marketing, to, to brands. You know, you got to have hope that the next product's going to be a great one. The next iPhone's going to be something uh, phenomenal. And on the other side of it, you know, you got to have this notion of, of legacy, like a, a, of past greatness. Um, you know, there you could very quickly move to examples from politics, right? I mean, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the greatness of a Ronald Reagan for the Republican friends listening and the greatness of a, a Barack Obama on the other side. So it, it, there, there's something really kind of illuminating about this in terms of the fundamentals. Now, I'll tell you the thing that sort of caught my eye with the last couple of episodes and in particular the way this is being covered. And mm-hmm. that is the concept of rivalry, right? Yeah. And even beyond that, let's call it the importance of love. And when I teach, when I teach fandom and I teach sports analytics, I go through the whole semester. And the very last uh, slide deck I do, you know, I've been talking about you know the love for different teams and sort of the experiences that you have that you know leaves you connected with 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 the teams that you care about. And then at the very last slide deck, I introduce the concept of hate, right? Mm. And so then the question becomes, or sort of the issue is, you know, the importance of both of those when you're thinking about how much fans are going to care. Mm-hmm. And so this morning, it's all about. I've seen. I, I've seen. Um, I've seen multiple interviews with Isaiah Thomas already. And so let, let me ask you that: from your perspective, did you realize what a key element Isaiah Thomas was in this story? Well, I did, and the reason why actually is because I had watched a documentary on the Dream Team and um, knew Michael Jordan's part in having Isaiah Thomas essentially removed from that team or blocked from being on that team. And so I was aware of the rivalry there, and I was aware of the bad boys and how they played basketball or what they called basketball. He he brought that uh, he brought up the story of the dream team this morning, so yeah. it's it's good to realize that neither Jordan or Isaiah has let anything go from the uh, from the early and the mid nineties in this story. Yeah, you could tell MJ really still hates the guy. <laughs> he really didn't didn't hold back, and you see it. I mean, the same with Isaiah, and really any of the Pistons players that you see interviewed, or any of those other Bulls guys. You can tell there's. Uh, Oh. There's there's a lifelong hatred for each other, or really just for the other team. Yeah, la- la- the interviews with Lambeer are great. You know, th- this guy is definitely living in his own kind of. He's got his own perspective on the world, and he's it's great, right? In some ways, he's still playing the same character, right? Right, and so in some ways, you might imagine a lot of Bulls fans seeing these interviews with Bill Lambeer and just you know renewing the hatred, but. I tend to think that in a lot of ways, what Lambeer is doing is, is perfect. You know, Jordan mm-hmm. should be almost writing him a, a check in mm-hmm. terms of having this villain exactly play the role till the end of time. Um, yeah. Let me let me say something about Isaiah Thomas though, and, th- and this is this kind of goes back to the you know where I was living this, and you've kind of heard about it as, as legend. 
Isaiah Thomas came out of the city of Chicago. I think he played at um, St. Joe's, which is a, was a basketball powerhouse at the time. And, and now I'm, I'm searching the memory, the memory banks here. I think he played for Gene Pingator, sort of a legendary high school coach. And so he was a Chicago guy. And then Michael Jordan sort of took over Chicago basketball. Mm-hmm. And I've always suspected that that has a little something to do with the... Uh, with, with where a lot of the animosity came from. I will also say this, though, and this is just getting into, you know, sort of the importance of love and hate across fandom. I was never particularly a big Isaiah Thomas fan because he, in fact, sort of betrayed the state of Illinois and attended uh, the University of Indiana. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of interesting, these, these sort of the structure of, let's say, my fandom, which gives me no sympathy for Isaiah but it does kind of it plays through in interesting ways. Yeah, and I'm sure there's some overlap there with Bulls fans um, and already feeling betrayed by Isaiah Thomas in college, and so he was the perfect bad guy. I mean, he was it was all there, and then playing with the bad boys and being kind of the flashy player on that team, the ringleader, um, couldn't have made for a better villain. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that was kind of interesting about it was the seamlessness with which Rodman switched teams. Yeah, he. I mean, he's kind of a mercenary, it seems like. It's interesting to me, I mean, watching him push Scottie Pippen to the ground in one of those playoff games, uh, which was really, it was, it was pretty cheap. And the fact that they turn around and are teammates and not much was made of that or any beef between he and any of the players or anything he had done there was almost this respect for the nuisance he could be as an opponent and a recognition that he could be that for us and he's an asset now and all of that was kind of wiped it seemed like at least in how they told the story and i think that's completely true and and that is uh, again, one of the fascinating things about the the psychology of fans that you can absolutely abhor, mm. hate, despise another player. They switch over. They're traded to your team, and suddenly your the perspective totally changes. Right? Absolutely. And, and, I mean, so you bring this. It, it's interesting, right? Because objectively, it's the same person. It's the same style of play. But your associations that sort of, you know, the, your frame, your, your context in terms of how you view these guys changes completely overnight, right? Bad boy, thug, criminal, blah, blah, blah. Suddenly now he's our guy. We're all in. We're 100% with him. He's a hero. Yeah, you see that in college sports um, when there's a player that's kicked off a team like, <laughs> like Georgia, uh, who I pull for, and... Fans of teams like Auburn will say, oh, Georgia's a bunch of thugs. You know, this is classic Georgia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what all the guys at Georgia are like. And then the same player will transfer over to Auburn, and all of a sudden he's a changed man. You know, he's a new man. He's a great player. He's, he's an asset. And even in the NBA, I mean, I know people that are Lakers fans that were anti-LeBron fans. And you know what I mean when I say that. There's people that pull against LeBron to have success. You know, they're, they're always comparing him to Jordan. And then he became a free agent. And they're like, well, I mean, he would make us better. And then now they're all in. I mean, he, they want him to be the GOAT. No, and I, and I like how you did that because I think that it shows how robust this concept is, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter the sport. It doesn't exactly. matter if it's a player, if it's a coach. 
the the hatred Kentucky basketball fans had for John Calipari when he was going to Final Fours at Memphis. Um, Nick Saban at LSU to Alabama. Nick Saban, yeah, I, I I did an interview not too long ago during um during the height of. NFL free agency, and it was a reporter from Indianapolis asking me if the Colts fans would accept Tom Brady coming to play coming to play for the Colts. And my answer was quickly, tell me how many games he's going to win, right? If he comes in and takes the Colts to the playoffs, 100% they're going to accept him. It's an interesting concept, right? Because fan hatred for other players and other teams is remarkably intense, but it can dissipate instantaneously as soon as they change it it goes back to and again you know what uh i kind of hate to do this to you but kind of the one of the classic things in all of fandom was uh a line by jerry seinfeld which again was probably before you were born which was an observation that we really root for the clothes Mm -hmm. right same dude changes his clothes and suddenly goes from goat goes from you know villain to hero right and i think on the flip side we see the same thing with fandoms turning on a guy uh you see a guy like lebron james go to the miami heat and getting oh, well, booze against the Cavs, who then later become lebron james fans again and I, I remember vince carter in the playoffs for the nets getting booed every time he touched the ball against the raptors and then later when he retires you know everyone respects him and the raptors he's our greatest one of our greatest players of all time but when he was still in the league he was the enemy all of a sudden well, and, you know, that, the Cleveland example of LeBron is one of the all-time greats of these, right? The first time he left Cleveland, I think what's the owner of the Cavs, Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert um, wrote an open letter saying that the yeah. Cavs would win a finals before LeBron did. <laughs> this is good. We're, like, channeling each other. You know, the, the, <laughs> and then a couple of years later, right, Dan Gilbert welcomes LeBron back. Um, and, and I think a lot of people will look at this and, and say, you know, this is kind of hypocrisy or blah, blah, blah. I don't think it is. I think it's sort of a fundamentally honest emotion of when you're with me, then we're all in it together, right? Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's this tribal or communal nature of sports fandom. And, you know, the, what's great about this documentary is we're talking about something 25 years later. Mm-hmm. And God, those emotions are still completely true and, and intense. Yeah. Except Dennis, I don't feel like hated anybody. Um, he, he kind of like when he showed up at the bulls, he just seemed like, yeah, I'm here. Like, you know, why do you want to be here? Dennis? I don't know. They wanted me. He just seemed a little bit indifferent. Um, and yet he played with such a passion and such a zeal diving for every loose ball and fighting for every rebound and was such a smart player. And for me, someone my age, that kind of got lost over the years. Um, you just see him as this pierced tattooed dyed hair guy and you almost think he's famous only because of that and um it it was nice to see his talent and the recognition he got from jordan and some of the footage to appreciate him solely as a basketball player as well well you know i i like what you're saying because i think in some ways this is the professor in me coming out and Mm -hmm. uh, and i love when i hear things that (laughs) i love i love when i hear things that uh, give me an excuse to climb up on that soapbox Right. And you know, when you talk about when you talk about Rodman and watching the documentary, I, I can't also help but kind of go back to this notion of 
you know, there's a whole industry around sports, right? And and these are all complex individuals, or maybe some of them are simple individuals, but there's all sorts of layers to, to what's happening. But the way stuff ends up being covered is almost by consensus, and it is almost with sort of this dramatic flair. And so Rodman clearly was playing, you know, Lambeer was playing the role of the villain, right? And it's like mm-hmm. the the thuggish, brutish villain. And it's, you know, clearly Lambeer's a you know a Notre Dame guy. I think he's I think he's obviously a, a smart a smart guy, and he is portrayed as this two dimensional <laughs> character. Now I think in his case it's kind of great that he because he sort of embraces it. Yeah, he totally you know? does. Yeah, I mean when I when I see the Isaiah thing again, it's kind of this Michael is the his nemesis, right? It's it's almost like you can imagine that Michael is the thing that prevented him from being the Chicago basketball hero of all time. Mm-hmm. But everyone is sort of put into these two dimensional boxes to exactly. help the narrative go through. And Rodman definitely was kind of playing the role of the different kind of dude, right? I mean, the, you know, these pictures of him in the wedding dresses and the tattoos mm-hmm. and. And and I forget. I mean, was it Carmen Electra or it was, Madonna? It was Carmen Electra. I mean, both. Yeah. He dated both. Yeah. Um, there was a a pretty good story about Carmen Electra last night. That, <laughs> I don't know. But, but he's 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 again playing this. He's playing a part, right? And, and mm-hmm. whether or not he's really playing the part, or just the way it's covered, in, in terms of you know the the role he's playing in this story, you know, Scottie Pippen, the classic, you know, number two guy. And again, I, maybe this is like a, kind of a larger point in terms of how we consume sports, right? We consume sports with a ton of passion, but probably also at a little bit of a superficial level, right? There, there's no appetite for sort of digging into the the reality that Bill Lambeer actually loves his kids and loves his dog. No. Right? It's, like, it's like, we don't want that. We no. Just, yeah. and at the same time, you don't want to see uh, the flaws in your heroes. You know, you, you they their role models for for children and their i remember getting to school at the university of georgia and finding out some things about some of the players that had always been portrayed in a certain way always been portrayed as the good guy you know the the role model guy and you view your team as the good guys and you don't want to know that he's actually the party guy or some of the off field troubles he's having or be in his class and he's a jerk to you. And you're like, what the heck? I thought this was the good guy. <laughs> um, and, and with documentaries, it's interesting to me because I used to always view documentary as fact. Um, oh yeah. No, no. And I'm in the process of watching a Ken Burns masterclass on, on documentary. And the more I've learned about it is that it's really one view that's being portrayed and it's being portrayed artistically as well and there's some liberties that are taken and i think you could take if you were to make a documentary on lambeer jordan could be this villain and these bulls could be these villainous bulls or if you were to make a documentary on jerry krauss um you would see a different side of michael jordan but as we've been told for forever you know the winners write history and michael jordan is the ultimate winner and so we're seeing his view of his last championship year and all of the events that preceded that and i think everything's being painted in in such a two-dimensional way like you were saying partially because narrative needs a villain and it you know it needs these sidekicks but there's so much more complexity and and you could endlessly go on making documentaries about this one season from every different perspective 
No, a lot of good thoughts in there, and I think that kind of that kind of sums it up nicely, right? It's like the winners the winners write history, and mm-hmm. in this case, the winner is the person who's going to draw the most ratings, right. and that person is Michael Jordan, and the story's going to be told from Michael Jordan's perspective. Um, it's also sort of a more it's a more glorious kind of story that people can. It's it's a more inspirational story, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you can imagine the you can imagine writing the Isaiah Thomas story, and it kinds of ends in defeat as Michael Jordan supplants the Pistons and becomes the hometown hero of Chicago. But you know, for sports to really kind of work, it's it's got to be that inspirational or that aspirational uh, type of story. So, Doug, let me ask you this, and, and mm-hmm. this might be a little bit unfair question. Anything else on deck? Um, what are we What are we looking at uh, in the in the week ahead? I mean, you mentioned episodes five and six. Is there anything else out there? And I think it's perfectly okay to say nope. Yeah, I mean, at this point, from a content perspective, I feel like sports media outlets are really scraping for things. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm already seeing 2021 NBA mock draft on the homepage <laughs> for ESPN. That's a 2021 NBA mock draft. So, well, well, let me let me say this. Let me sort of change directions here, and we don't do this a lot, but you know, in some ways, you know, where where I work and where you've recently joined Emory University, you know, in some ways, we're also in the in the content business, and we're in the live content business. And, and so as a little bit of a parallel in terms of where sports are going to go and how they might potentially reopen, I can tell people that the universities haven't made any decisions in terms of what's going to happen in the fall of, in the fall of 2020. I mean, you know, obviously mm-hmm. everything's been canceled over the summer, which I think suggests that we may have a summer without sports. Um, we heard originally, you know, kind of toes dipped in the water of maybe do this or maybe do that. It doesn't seem like a lot has moved forward. So I think everything, everyone in the sort of the live content delivery business is, is largely, you know, hit, hitting pause and trying to figure out what's next. Uh, I've talked to some folks, you know, especially being down here in the South and I'm look, you're you, obviously you're a UGA graduate. I'm sure college football is important to you. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens in the fall. I mean, uh, some of the schools are talking about a delayed start, so maybe starting in September or October. I've heard some discussion about now we need to reduce the size of the cl- classroom. So maybe if you mm-hmm. got a sixty-seat classroom, you're putting a student in every other seat. So mm-hmm. for for some type of social distancing. So are we talking about a delayed start to the NFL or to college football? Are we talking about some notion that you're going to play, the University of Georgia will play in front of 25,000, 30,000 fans instead of 90,000 fans? It is something that is very much under discussion at the moment with, I think, absolutely no one wanting to sort of put a stake in the ground and say, this is what we're going to do going forward. No, and you saw that with Roger Goodell um, being interviewed during the draft. He was asked about the season and he's not willing to commit or speculate. Um, I've seen the same with Adam Silver in the NBA, and I, I'm sure it's it's the same across all leagues. Nobody's willing to speculate at this point. There's so little information as far as what's going to be going on in the fall. Here in the South and among many circles that I'm involved in, 
there's this feeling that they can't cancel college football. Uh, they, you know, that's okay. Like, but let me ask you a question. Yeah. If they've canceled classes, can you play football games? I don't think you, you can because, yeah. and, and so that's kind of what I'm getting at is everyone's acting like it's this. It's kind of like this, I can't get the coronavirus thing that people have, but uh, there's this invincibility to college football because so many people care about it so much that there's no way they're going to cancel it. Well, guess what? People elsewhere care about the NBA and March Madness just as much, and those things have gotten canceled. And, And I've heard discussions of colleges starting online back in the fall and not requiring students to be on campus. So let me, let me just say some MBA programs have already said that that's going to be their plan. They're going to start online and then pick up live second half of the semester. Right. And so when the average student is not required to be on campus and is actually prohibited from being on campus, are they going to require student athletes to constantly be on campus and constantly be around each other? It's really messy and really murky right now. And 90K people in one building, right? Yeah. And (laughs) I, I will say this. I've heard it proposed that they play college football games with no fans in the crowd. I think the better solution would be to play college football with one fan in the crowd from each team on opposite sides of the stadium um, <laughs> yelling at each other, and we just get shots of them when they normally show the crowd. And I want to be that fan. I love it. That could be fun. Okay, so let, let, let's wrap it up here. The, the only thing I want to sort of do a little bit of a plug, something that we're moving towards uh, probably with a launch date with it sometime within the next two weeks, and... Uh, soon, not yet, but soon there'll be some updates on this on the fanalyticswithmikelewis.com uh, webpage, mm-hmm. is that we are going to launch a, and I'm thinking of this uh, as a tip of the iceberg uh, version of a sports analytics class. And so what, I, what we're going to do, if you're interested, and I'm not sure, we still haven't figured out the exact logistics, but the, the basic idea is we'll do about a, we'll do a podcast episode which will be the equivalent of a a class and put a couple of slides for a visual element on the blog uh, to give everyone out there a and and look this is largely an experiment to see what we can do in terms of content delivery of academic content uh, Mm -hmm. via the podcast and the the blog site Uh, but the idea will be you know a couple of slides for some visual elements and an episode, and, and like I said, what we haven't decided about is sort of what's the, well, at least what I haven't decided about is what is the student side of this? I mean, we'll definitely encourage discussion on the blog, on the blog boards in terms of comments, uh, but something for you guys to look ahead of if you want some, let's say, more formal analytical training for this world of uh, sports fandom and sports analytics. Yeah, I think it's a dream for me as a um, someone that in college would have loved to learn about this and loved to find out how everything works and how I could potentially get a foot in the door working in the field of sports and potentially sports analytics. So I'm excited about helping Mike put this on and, and learning some myself. College. We should have a thousand high school kids out of Long Island listening to this. Okay, guys, that's all we got for now. Um, hopefully, there'll be some other news, or, or otherwise, we'll talk for uh, we'll talk for a half an hour about episodes five and six next weekend. Uh, until then, uh, talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye.